Hey, you guys, welcome back to the Play on Words podcast. I'm so excited to share this episode with you. It is a chat with my friend Kathleen, who is an educator, learning specialist, and big city reader's mom to a sweet little preschooler. And we are taking a deep dive into some heavy hitter topics like neurodivergence and different learning needs and social emotional development in the classroom. You'll hear all about it. Um, But first, I do want to read, as you know, I kind of forget to do the segments that we start, but I love your um, reviews so much that I'm trying. I literally put a post-it on my mirror so I didn't forget to share this because this one comes from Emily. Um... And her review of the podcast really made my whole day. So thank you so much, Emily. Okay, Emily says, I love everything about this podcast. I'm obsessed. It's so dead on. I taught reading workshop way long ago in fourth grade, and I never really knew what to do when a kiddo couldn't read. I left teaching to stay home. Fast forward to teaching kindergarten a few years ago, and now I'm back home with my fourth kid. After learning the correct way to teach reading, I get so annoyed with people who aren't on board still. Your podcast is such a breath of fresh air. I just want to scream it from the mountaintops. Yay, Miss Beth. Thank you so much. Thank you, Emily. This review, I put it in a folder in my email. I probably will print it um, so I can read it every day because it means so much to me. Thanks for your rating reviews of the podcast. It's how we can keep this going and get more education and information um, for free to more people. So let's jump into the podcast now. I have so many things I want to talk about. Um, Stigmas, stereotypes, personalized learning, differentiation, um, balancing academics and social, emotional and well-being, collaborative teaching and parent involvement, breaking the silence on different learning needs, addressing ADHD in education, nurturing social emotional development, recognizing individual learning styles, um, and that things like kids, for example, what might not sit still, that doesn't really mean that they have ADHD or that they're not learning. Just those are the things that I was hoping that we could talk about. And I kind of like outlined it because I know that you and I could talk about like a million things. So I was like, those are probably like the things that we could dive in on. So I guess how how do those topics sound to you? All of them. And they are all, I feel like they're all encompassing. Exactly. And that, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like teaching, like it's just. Yeah. Why don't I give you all a little background on why I'm, I've started this journey. Is that Mm -hmm. Yes, please. That's what I was hoping you would do. When I was young, I, um, I remember when I went to school the first time I was the youngest of six and I was so terrified and I went to a Catholic Montessori school and I hid behind my mom's leg and they had to pull me off of her. Um, And I never talked and constantly it was, she's shy. She's shy. She's shy. Oh, she's just shy. And so I just decided, I guess that's what they said. I was shy. And so I was shy. So I never talked. Um, And I just had a straight face. And I think they didn't really like that because it probably looked like I was pouting like straight face, you know, the resting bitch face. Yeah. I started that from when I was three Um, and then when I went to elementary school, it was the same thing. I went to, um, Catholic elementary school and it was just like, you do this, you sit here in this row, don't talk. And I did exactly what I was told because I was terrified of getting, getting in trouble and terrified of saying the wrong thing. And I also had no idea what they were talking about. I, I see that now, but then I was just like, I just feel like I'm dumb, but nobody told me I was dumb. Um, it, question, I, did you do well in school? Yeah, I did. Um, I was like bees. Yeah. Bees. Not, I was not like a perfect student, but I did all of my homework. I mean, I don't know how I did it. I just I, did it. And I think I didn't, I wasn't learning anything. And that's why I felt dumb. But, but. 
no one ever said like, oh, you didn't do well on this test or you didn't understand this. And like I was saying to someone else, we were talking about math and she's like, well, what did you remember when, when you were growing up about um, your math lessons? And I was like, yours is not to question why, just reverse and multiply. And I think that pretty much sums up my schooling is that you didn't ask why, you just did it. And I didn't even know why you carried the one when you're adding two digit numbers, maybe until like 10 years ago. I, oh I my just, gosh. I, just, I did not know why. And I just did it. I wasn't the best math student when I had to like problem solve, but I could do like addition. It's counting on my fingers and nobody ever said that was wrong. So anyway, and then I got to eighth grade. No one ever said anything. And the the eighth grade parent-teacher conferences that were required, but they pulled me aside and they said, oh, your parents don't have to come um, because you're a model student. And they told my parents that I was a model student. And I was like, oh, wow. Like I thought I was, I was like, wow, I must be pretty smart. Like <laughs> I think I'm smart. Like, I don't know what I'm doing, but okay. In eighth grade, I wrote a term paper. It's a big, huge paper we had to write took like two months to write it. I copied it out of the encyclopedia on avalanches. Like I copied it and I got hundred percent. I'm like, and, and she was like, you're the only one in the class who got hundred percent. And I'm like, hmm, okay. Do you remember like what you felt at that? Were you like, I tricked them or were you like, oh, life is just about copying or like, what do you know? Oh, I didn't know it was wrong. I just did it. I yeah. Just, I just, did it. I copied it. I think I copied sentences from the encyclopedia onto note cards because that's what we were learning to do. Put our notes on note cards and then put them into paragraphs. Well, in my head, I just copied the sentences and then copied from there onto my handwritten cursive paper. And, and that's just how it was. And I, I remember it was like, Oh, it's the only one who got a hundred percent. Okay. Mm. And then when I went to high school, I was still super, super shy. I was afraid of getting in trouble. I never got a jug, like a detention, justice, mm. justice under God. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. <laughs> and people were like, wait, what? You went four years at this school. You never got a jug. I was like, no. Mm-mm. Oh, I never got a detention. We had something called homework lab in middle school. And I remember I had anxiety every single day that I was going to get a homework lab. It wasn't even about like doing my homework. I always did my homework. It was like, I was so afraid that I was going to have to get a homework lab. And I had a job. I was a babysitter. And I was like, that's going to be the worst thing in the world if I'm not going to be get to my job. But a lot of people I think would say, oh, that's like how you teach kids. Like that's life. And it's like, no, I was the most responsible kid and I had unnecessary anxiety. Right. Right. And I think I was afraid of that too. And it was like, if I didn't do my homework, um, Oh my God. And I was talking to one of my friends last week from high school. And she said, remember, we used to stay up all night memorizing the essays for our, our biology exams in, in high school, because she had a photographic memory and I could memorize and write easily. But if you asked, if you were to ask us questions about how, you know, to apply what we learned, no way couldn't do it. Um, and so, you know, it's like, well, why didn't anybody say anything? Like the teachers could see that we were, you know, looking at all the diagrams in the books right before the test so that we could just ace it. And then after that, nothing. So like, what exactly are you trying to teach if we're, if we were just basically learning what we needed to learn to pass the test and then move on? Isn't it weird? I I mean, I know that we both think about this all the time. It's like, are we just like teaching kids to be just like soldiers? Right. So I didn't really start to think about this until I was um, maybe 30 and I was teaching and I was a learning specialist and I still was like, wait a minute, I can learn it. How do I learn? How do I have two master's degrees and I never learned like how to read. Yeah. I can decode words. Fine. 
Do I have any clue about what's going on and what I'm reading? No, I've never read a book front to back. Never. I read books in high school where I would, I read every single word. I have another friend, same thing. I read every single word. She said, I don't, I don't know. I took the test. I failed it because I didn't even know the characters. And nobody said a thing. Nobody said a thing. And, and then, you know, high school, end of high school, getting ready to, for college. I don't know. I'm just like, I guess that's the next thing. Um, I don't even think I looked at schools. I just remember my, my mom saying, you need a small school. You're not ready to go away. You're not ready to go away. And my, my, um, high school guidance counselor said, don't ever apply to the University of Michigan. Just, just don't even waste your time because you won't, you won't get it. Rude. Well, I did. I did get in and twice and I went there <laughs> and I still didn't learn anything. <laughs> and now it's like people can't even get into those schools with like A pluses, no a no nothing's lower than an a plus you can't even get into that school and i'm like how did i get to go to that school when i didn't i, I didn't learn anything while i was there so um so when i was actually in the field teaching and i was like you know i was making so much progress with my students and i was like you know i see a lot of similarities between me and each of these kids and so i decided to have myself tested and turns out, you know, I did all, I don't remember how, how many hours of testing it was, but, um, you know, slow processing, everything that would, that would lead to, um, ADHD and just knowing that changed my life. And I think, um, you know, I started taking a stimulant to help me get focused and for me, that was life-changing mm. life-changing because I felt like my brain was like throw up on my computer. It was like, you know, it was like vomit. And then when I would take this um, Adderall, it would really just help my brain to focus on like one small thing. And you know, something else that I really noticed about myself is that a lot of people just were saying, you know, Oh, this kid's hyperactive. He's got ADHD, whatever. But mm -hmm. With me, I didn't talk and nobody ever yeah. noticed. Nobody ever noticed. They just said she's shy and nobody ever asked questions. Um, and I noticed that I have like the ADHD where I'm like hyper focused. Oh on one thing. Yes, that is the biggest misconception about ADHD that it looks like someone that doesn't sit still. Like kids aren't really made to sit still. Like right. I, I would be more alarmed at kids sitting still than kids not sitting still. Actually, that's exactly what we're saying, right? I was the shy kid too. I was so well-behaved and I have ADHD too. It's not necessarily just like your body is made to move. People think that the hyperactivity means like so crazy, but actually it means like a hyper focus. You have the ability to hyper focus. So whether that's like get lost in your own mind or like I'm going to hyper fixate on like being the best behaved child here, I will do everything. Like I'm hyper focused on the praise I'm going to get from being the star student. Like, and the, the, the word good is always coming back into my, you know, it's like good, be good. You're, oh, mm -hmm. you're so good. You're so good. But I'm like, why? Why is that? How is that good? How am I a model student? Because I don't talk, but, but I, I didn't learn anything in school. I had to teach myself how to read and interpret things. And uh, and I just feel like, wh why? What? I feel like I'm a fraud, actually. Mm. And I feel like I'm a fraud. And I don't think I should feel that way. You know, it's, no. like, it's unfair. And I also feel like a lot of a lot of people, I've heard this from some of my former students. I've talked to them about. Uh, my journey right now. And yet they're like, yeah, you know, a lot of times it really bothered me that kids would say like, oh, I need some of that Adderall. I need to get, you know, I need to focus. Maybe I'd do better on the test. That's not fair. And I'm like, you know, why, why is that not fair? Like you need glasses. So you get to wear glasses, but I don't need them. Why should I have to wear glasses? 
And it's the same thing. And one of my um, students, when I first started teaching, he said, we were talking about fair and things like that in the second grade classroom. And he said, fair doesn't mean equal. Fair means everybody gets what they need to be successful. A child said that? I had a professor once say that and that changed my life because I was like, yeah, if if fair was giving everyone the same, then everyone would have wheelchairs. It's a wheelchair is equalizing the people that can't use their legs. Right. And it's not fair to say like, well, then everybody has to sit down to take a test or everybody has to spell words in handwriting. Everybody, you know, it's everybody has to take this multiple choice test. Everybody doesn't nobody has the same DNA and nobody's going to learn the same with. So I feel like a lot of, there's a lot of stigma with the ADHD and that, you know, they're dumb. They can't get their crap together. And it's like, actually we are, we are the ones who are, you know, being forced into this, this role, I guess this we're, we're being forced into like this cookie cutter way that this is the way you're supposed to learn. You know, I, I had a call that just made me think I had a a call with a a mom the other day and she was like, they were kind of saying that she should be, um, retained for first grade, um, do, do a first grade a second time. And I did an assessment and I was like, well, my personal opinion is she's ready for second grade. Second grade's not ready for her. And it's because this she's beyond the standard. And I think, a lot of things with neurodivergence or whatever. I think, I think most people do have a different type of brain and we're trying to make every kid learn the exact same way, like in the exact same setting. How insane is it? Like, can you imagine doing anything? I want any adult to ask themselves this. Can you imagine doing anything with 30 people around you for eight hours a day without talking to any of the people and just listening quietly? I, I, no one does that in real life. And like, how do you learn from that? Ever you learn from experiences, you learn from mistakes. And I was terrified to make a mistake. Same, same. Yeah. Actually, still, even I have a doorman, and he, uh, this I've told this story before, but he was like, "Hey, I was on a call, and so you lose the call in the elevator." So I was like standing in my lobby, and he was like, "Hey, um, when you're off the call, I need to talk to you." And my heart, me, at my big age. <laughs> dropped right out of my body. And I couldn't even focus on the call. I was like, oh my God. Oh my God. I'm getting kicked out of the building. I did something wrong. Hey, here's the crazy thing. I didn't do something wrong. So many parents and so many teachers will be like, well, you want kids to be a little afraid. That's respect. It's not. It literally paralyzed my emotions. My nervous system was in fight or flight. I could not focus on the call that I was on. I had to get off the call and I went and asked him, I, I was like, I mean, sweating, so scared. I'm like, my nervous system is reactivated remembering this story from a year ago. And I said, hey, how can I, like, what do you need? And he said, um, somebody else that works here said that you are a learning specialist and I have a daughter who's struggling. And I was wondering if um, I could, I could ask you some questions. Right. And I was like, the gymnastics my nervous system went through for absolutely no reason because my entire childhood was about being fear-based following the rules and and you were to interpret that anyone calling you out of the ordinary was not good it was a negative thing yeah and it's like why don't I assume that if somebody says can I talk to you it's a good thing why am I so like I I swear my all of my child like my elementary experience was just about like literally abusing my nervous system like that's what happened i didn't learn anything my, my nervous system got beaten and i had to spend 10 years fixing it yeah that's me actually this, this similar thing just happened to me um a few months ago a a new principal of a school that i used to teach at called me and i was terrified i was like what i'm like wait i can't get fired like i don't <laughs> teach there anymore but like why I was terrified. My heart was racing. And I was like, why, why should I, why should I feel that way? Like, you know, um, it's, it's interesting. And so I look at that experience and I think about how all the kids feel. And like some kids, when they see a teacher who's just sit down, do this, 
do it this way. No, you can't do it that way. You have to do it this way. Um, it's just intimidating. And then they, they freeze and they're paralyzed. Yeah. Fight, flight, freeze. And we are just like, anytime I talk about behavioral stuff in the classroom or like behavior charts, which, um, I'm sure you know this, but anyone that's listening, it's like those color, it's like a rainbow and you see kids names clipped like that. Literally there's, there's, so much research. I'll I'll link the text in the show notes, but there's so much research that this actually puts kids' nervous system into fight or flight. They are not learning. You cannot learn, retain, and understand any academic information if your nervous system is in fight or flight. And when we have a public display of shame that kids are just looking at that to say, like, am I going to get in trouble? It's not even am I going to get in trouble. It's like, am I going to get shamed publicly in front of my friends and they're just in fight or flight. That's, that's why kids are like, what'd you do today? When stuff like that happens, it's like, I don't know. Some of those kids, they really don't know how to answer because their nervous system was fully engaged all day. So they weren't really there. Right. And I think that's, that's what happens to a lot of kids who are in like my kind of situation where they uh, didn't talk in class because they were constantly, uh, they were looking at the behavior chart. Yes. They, and they didn't, they didn't learn how to do anything else because they were constantly focused on what they, you know, what they were perceived as. Did you, um, have you ever had a behavior chart in your classroom as a child or a teacher? Um, I did have one my first year of teaching. Same. Um, and you know, the school that I taught at was, was, um, oh, it was an inner city school and the kids, I mean, they were like here, they were shy or ADHD, you know, and that's not a fair and, but I didn't know anything. Oh, that's, and, that's a, that's another thing to talk about. Is that like, why isn't there more support for teachers in under, like we're expecting them to be behavior specialists, but I got one school, one class in undergrad about behavior. And that's supposed to be every behavioral and academic learning difference that I might have in my classroom. Yeah. And like, why are all the behaviors bad yeah like why why do we just assume that they're bad maybe somebody's got to show you physically how they learn something you know maybe you got to spell words by like jumping on a hopscotch or you know yes um but yeah I did have it and this is I was going to say this earlier there were kids in the class who their parents or their grandparents would say to me in front of them and in front of the class you know if Bobby is on yellow or or red <clears throat> call me and I will be here in two minutes right and you know where and I said something to the teacher next door and they're like yeah they take them in the bathroom and they use a belt what mm-hmm. and you can hear it and I was like okay I'm like I'll for sure call you no and I never never you know oh that was the parent that said that yeah, parents and the grandparents. Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, I mean, I, I, sorry, I missed that, and I was worried that you were saying the teacher, and I was like, wait, not that it wait. makes it, not that it makes it any better, and that's like such like a thing too. Like, there's so much like no one explains things, but like when people are like, yeah, sometimes kids just need a spank. It's like the brain actually can't, cannot differentiate physical abuse. Like that is physical abuse. Your a developing brain cannot differentiate that this is loving abuse. Yeah. And like silent, the silent treatment also, like if you're afraid, <sighs> you're afraid your parents neglect, are, your teacher's not going to talk to you because you are, you know, being disrespectful or I think, you know, my dad used to be a teacher. Okay. And he would say, yeah, he's like, I would just walk to the corner of the room and stare out the window when they weren't, I think he said the word complying when they weren't complying. Mm. He fold his arms and stare out the window and ignore them and like never said why he's like well they know why I'm like no they don't <laughs> you know it, i'm like and now you know the more i the more i talk to him about this he's just like god we didn't know anything but he also feels the same way he's like, i did not learn one thing in school yeah super successful didn't learn a thing in school i just met with one of his friends he's 90 and he was like you know I was telling him my story and he's like, yeah, I never learned anything in school either. And he owns like an island of hotels now. Um, And both of them said to me, 
Yes. One of my teachers said to me, you will never amount to anything. And so many people who I talked to have had an experience like that. One of my students, you know, that said, you know, oh, this teacher takes me in the other room and compares me to these other kids and, you know, and tells me I'm going to be a garbage man. And I'm like, well, you're not actually, because I think you're like the most brilliant child I've met and your brain is, and like some people just don't know how to handle your brain because it's just so amazing. You have so many ideas and um, I just, you know, I think that that makes me think of two things. One is that when you said uh, earlier, I meant to say this, but like people think like it's a, a negative, but actually people with ADHD often have a much higher or like, or anxiety. It's a much higher level of intelligence. Like your brain is working faster and understanding more. Like I can walk into a room and feel every single energy like that is happening. Like I can perceive like how people are feeling. I can like get onto so many other levels. And that's as a, as an adult, we, you and I are learning how to use that to our advantage. But imagine being a child and not having the resources to really explain how much you're thinking and feeling. That's why it comes out in tantrums. That's why it looks like kids acting out because they don't have the means, but imagine what the world would be like if we could actually like help kids understand like your brain is different because it's actually really fast and it's really smart and it's really creative. What's happening right now in school is they're asking you to kind of like not use that side of your brain that your brain is not bad. Like let's think of ways that we can make sure that we say to that part of your brain, you're so good. You're so special. This is so amazing. I want to nurture you. I'm uniquely made. I am, I'm like, I talk fast. I'm loud. I'm, I have fun. And what are the things that I can do with those skills instead of like, yikes, let's put those away. Guess what? If you're not asking a child or you're not telling them where to put them, they're not going away. That's why there's problems. It's the same thing with like hitting and biting. If we just say no hitting or biting, they're telling you that there is like an urge to do something. So you need to show them what they can hit and bite. Like, you know, with toddlers, I love to always have like a biting basket or like these are the toys that are safe to bite. If we just say like no to everything, we're just telling them no to who they are and like what happens in their body. And that's why kids get so mad and have tantrums because you're just saying, stop doing all of the things that your body is just automatically doing. Yeah. And sometimes I actually have to stop myself with my daughter. Cause I'm like, <laughs> I get, I get in that habit. Like stop kicking your foot. <laughs> yes. I know. Kicking the table. Um, but really it's, I, Lately, I have been trying to say to her, like, what she can do and also, like, the not yet, not right now. Um, yes. Can you do it in a different way? And it seems to be, I mean, I just, I see so many of these um, similarities with my brain and her brain right now that I'm like, how can I help her train her brain to use it, you know, because it's a beautiful brain. It's beautiful yeah. brain. People. And that, that is what's, that is what's hard is that I, I want to say that I'm not saying that we should just let kids hit and bite and like, we, oh. we teach them to regulate. Like I have, I am impulsive. That's why I've built a lot of businesses, <laughs> but I need to practice all of the things. I know that, I know that the first 60 minutes of the day is really important to me to not look at any screens and not interact with anybody. And that helps regulate parts of my brain. It's it's not like that I just do whatever I want because my brain is fast and smart. It's okay, let's how think about how to support the way you learn. Learn that. How did you like how did you personally learn that? Through lots of trial and error, right? Exactly. Trial and error and reading everything. Yeah. It's it's just wild. And you know, I I also, on the one hand, you can say like, oh, the hyperactive kids, stop, 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 right? But, you know, my daughter is not hyperactive and we just walked into camp and she has to walk through like a gym to get in there and she like freezes. She can't make her feet walk mm. because she's so much stimulation of the people wearing different clothes and doing different exercises and like, it, it, that's just her brain. I can see her brain. I can see it. Yes. Like, you know, and it's, 
and that is what I love when I was teaching these kids. I was like, I can see your brain working. I see it. Like I see your eyes. I see, like, I see you processing this in your own way. And that's, they were given that opportunity to do that. And not, I feel like not a lot of kids are, they're just forced to comply and you're good if you comply. And if you're, you know, if you can't sit down, you're not good. And if you can't, yes. right. And- okay. So let me ask you this. So we know now, so we're saying children and adults have different learning styles, learn in different ways. And we know there's a lot of misconceptions about how kids should learn. So <laughs> What do you think the solution is? Well, I, I, I do think that, you know, I think it's hard. Teachers have a really hard job. And I think teachers, it's hard for teachers, A, to manage everything that's going on and teaching and teaching what they tell you to teach and, and also like behaviors. And I feel like when I thought about this this morning, I was like, you know, I think teachers are just automatically interpret things the way that they were taught to interpret them. Right. It's and isn't really- it insane that the, that teachers are expected to be an expert. This is like the only field that anyone is expected to be an expert in every single subject, social studies, science, history, reading, math, writing, and also every single behavior that exists and also know how to manage both adults and children. Like this is the only field that you are expected to be an expert in this many things right and this little support okay like do you do you believe them or not like you have to be an expert in that too and like reading their body language and (sighs) all of those things so much I feel like I wrote these things down I was like okay it's it's um you know negative connotations they're chatty they're wild they can't read they can't sit down or they won't sit still um and I just feel like that's a negative interpretation immediately. And and then they're shy. I would take that as a negative interpretation too. But some people think of it as a like cute and sweet interpretation. And that is what, you know, I see people say that about my daughter. You know, she's, oh, oh she's shy. And I just have to say, no, she's not. She just, you know, sometimes takes a minute for, for everyone to just experience and process what's going on in the room. And then when she's ready she'll, you know, talk to whoever she wants to talk to or do whatever she needs to do. Um, And I just, I want kids to know that, that they are not wrong for being, you know, active or for standing or for, I just, um, for being shy. It's not, it's not, you are not what your label is, I guess. Yeah. Do you know, do you know what I'm trying to say? Absolutely. Like, because once you're labeled that, you're labeled that forever. And the teachers, and then the teachers, they meet from year to year and they talk about the students and, yeah. you know, what can I do to help this student the next year? But then there you go. They're already labeled. And so for me, I I sometimes was like, I don't want to know. Yeah. Because I want to interpret it for myself. That's good. Um, I was labeled shy too, which is like, nobody would believe me that now that I say that. You. Me too. I'm like, now I feel like I'm in more of an extrovert now. Yeah. But, but I wasn't shy. I was just <laughs> trying to figure it out. And then I think uh, I just stopped because I stopped trying to figure it out because it was too much. Yeah. Went with, with the flow. Yeah. So, okay. So let's talk about... <laughs> what do you think, like, how do you think that educators, and of course it probably depends on like everything falls on the teacher and it shouldn't. So it should be like administration changing the rules, but how could a teacher or an administrator in your opinion, create a more inclusive and supportive environment for kids that learn differently or if they have ADHD or like, what do can you think of any like practical approaches that people could implement into their classrooms? Yeah, I do feel that you know, someone was asking me about schools and oh, this school, or I see a lot of posts online, you know, like these schools are the best. This is the best school because mm-hmm. it's so expensive. Mm-hmm. This is the best school because it's in this district. And I'm like, mm, I actually don't agree with any of those things because you can go to like an $85,000 a year elementary school, but you get a teacher who's not able to engage with you 
with your child, then it's a wasted year. Agree so much. Agree. And so I feel like if teachers maybe, well, one thing I'm saying, nobody said anything, right? So if you could look at the students and say, okay, you're being quiet. What do I think? What could that mean about this child? You know, oh, you really, you really have a lot to say. What does, well, what does that say about the child? It doesn't say that they can't stop talking. It just says they have a lot to say. And how, how can you use that observation to help them, you know, give, maybe give them, give them a job where they can use their voice or, um, I just feel like instead of just accepting the label, you know, think for yourself and think, cause I'm thinking like, why, why did they say I was shy? Why did they say I was a model student? You know, are you really a model student? What is a model student? You know what? That's funny. I was just trying to think of that, that what, what you were saying. I'm like, why was I shy? And I think I was shy because I was insecure. So if I had had, and I did have good teachers and I wasn't always shy. Like I remember I had a great, I really felt seen in third grade by my third grade teacher. And she like would always um, like pull me one-on-one to like have a discussion because she, I think she knew that I wasn't confident sharing in like the whole group. So she would always, um, but not in like an obvious way. She would say like, Oh, I love your outfit today. Tell me like, who did you get it with? Like she was really good at asking really specific questions and gave me jobs. I can't even remember what the jobs were, but I did have teachers that did say you're a leader. Right. And give me a, like a leader job which like they actually saw me because other teachers were like, oh, she's so shy. Right. And this is kind of something I'm also seeing with my daughter. And I see that she's shy. And then the other children are are almost treating her as if she's lesser or a weak, a weak, the weak link. And she's slower because she's trying to interpret everything that she's seeing and hearing. And that's not because she's slow. She just moves, you know she moves slower. And so I've started talking to her about that too. You know, like, you know, I think it's better if you're in a group with kids who you, where you can feel and practice being a leader and practice using your voice to say what you need and what you don't need. And maybe, you know, being in a group of older kids, you might feel, you know, scared to speak up for yourself. Yeah. Um, I think it's a really big thing to, to get kids to be able to also say like, what they need, but they don't know how to, they don't know when they're so little, they don't know how to, they don't know what they're feeling or why they're feeling it or how to even use their brain in the right way. I don't know if this is relevant, but I saw this TikTok video the other day. I don't know why I just thought of it, but this mom was like recording that her 10 year old really wanted this hand sanitizer and at Ulta. And so she parked out in front and she saved up her own money to buy this $10 hand sanitizer. And went into Alta and got it and she like was recording and she's like you bought your own thing oh my gosh and she came out and she goes I don't really think it's worth ten dollars and the mom was like well do you want to return it and she was like can I do that and she goes yeah you can and she sent her back in and she returned it and everyone in the comment section was like me a 40 year old woman not being able to do this <laughs> like right. It's this thing. So it's like, I was like, wow, that moment. So like in the classroom or in parenting, like kind of like showing kids at a very early age, like you can do this or giving them the opportunity to try it. Like the stakes are low. I felt, I feel, and I think, I think a lot of times, like we just let this buildup happen for kids that they feel like the stakes are so high. Then if we're like, go on, speak up, go, go. And then, then they're like, you know, Force is always met with resistance. So the more we're saying, go on, you can do it. You can do it. You can do it. We're literally asking them to resist us. So if we just have casual opportunities that are like, whatever, it's no big deal. If you want to order for yourself, sure. If you don't, that's fine too. Like not getting into this battle that's like, go on, look at them in the eye. You can do it. But just like being so casual about it, just like, oh, like, and then if you notice that they're being shy, like being like, oh, you know what? Actually, I I did a workout class while we were at the gym today and I just felt like sitting in the back, but um I think I I looked at the people sitting in the front and they looked like they were having more fun. So next time I might try sitting in the front, not sure. Like hey, yes, just I reading like, that. 
your decision. You know, you can decide when you're there. You know, do you want to do this? She's my daughter saying, I swam in the hot tub today, even though I was like, eh, I don't know if it's the best idea yeah. for a long time. Um, and I was like, well, you know what? I'm glad you made that decision for you. And these are decisions that you can make for yourself. And there's, but there's some that you can make when you're older. Um, but, but same, it's more like, I feel like I notice a behavior change in her when I put limitations, like you have to do this at this time, you have to do it in this order and you have to eat this. <laughs> I'm like, why she yeah. feels limited. And that, that would limit me too. think about yourself. Like, you know, why, if someone said that to you, these are the only five things that you can eat today. And yeah, <laughs> the order that you have to do things, you know, brush your teeth, comb your hair, then not, not comb your hair, then brush your teeth. But why, who cares? think why why is the question i want to tell you for teachers why why do they why are they quiet why are they moving around or like why is it just why is there a stigma that why do they have to sit down you know why is it bad if a child is standing like and, and 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 so not necessarily like you know if someone's listening and they're like well because then every kid will want to stand okay then keep going with your why so say every kid in your class is standing at their desk then what why is it because you feel like you don't have enough control of the class like is it a safety issue do you think that you can't get through the lesson and then again a why why do you feel that standing is preventing you from getting through the lesson because personally i feel like a great teacher can teach any lesson moving. Like teachers don't sit down. Yeah. So why? Yeah. Uh, and you know, I will tell you there's better than why I think is when I was in my therapy for so long to like figure, figure out what was going on with my, my head and how I was learning. Like I was a 30 and, and this person said to me, who made the rule? Um, and that that's when I was kind of thinking about my, you know, my journey as becoming a single parent by choice. And I was terrified. And she said to me, who made the rule? Who made the rule that you have to get married before you have a child? You know, like who made that rule and why does it come in that order? And so this is something I ask myself all the time when I'm doing, you know, things with my family or what, like who made that? Well, nobody made that rule. Like, why is it? My daughter sees a guy running down the street. She's terrified because she said, mom, he's not wearing a shirt. <laughs> and I was like, to me, I was like, and she was basically, she was asking me like, why, why, why wasn't he wearing a shirt? Like who made the rule? And I was kind of like, I don't know why there's that rule, but I mean, I'm sure there's like physical comfort for men versus women. I'm getting off topic, but. No, this reminds me of, um, do you know that, I don't know if it's like, if it's a story or a poem or whatever it is, but about running the dishwasher twice, you would love this. Wait, so there me about this before, but I think I did tell, yeah, I think we talked about this. So it was a story that somebody is saying like they're in therapy and they were in like one of the lowest points of their life. Like they couldn't even get out of bed, no energy, no motivation. Like I think many people have been there and I can't even remember who it was. She, he, whatever they are, go to therapy, like bring themselves to the session. And the therapist says, what are you struggling with right now? And the guy says, I don't know, life. And so the therapist is like, no, exactly what are you worried about? Why are you overwhelmed? What feels so overwhelming today? Like, what are the issues that are going to be staring at you? And, yeah. and he's like, the dishes. It's stupid, I know, but the more I look at them in the sink, the more I can't do them because I'll have to scrub them before I put them in the dishwasher because my dishwasher sucks. And then I'm annoyed that my dishwasher sucks and I can't stand to scrub the dishes. And he's like, I felt like an idiot. And the therapist just says, run the dishwasher twice. And he's like, that's not what you're supposed to do. And he's like, why? Why aren't you supposed to do that? If you don't want to scrub the dishes and your dishwasher sucks, run the dishwasher twice. Run it three times. Who cares? Rules do not exist. We right. are living and dying, literally like crushing ourselves by these rules that don't exist that we just are telling ourselves. Yes, it took and me so long to learn that like there are, I make the rules actually. 
and you yes you can sit down in the shower like you can you can fold the clothes when you want to you can mix patterns you can stand to learn you can listen to books you like there is like why why it is if you actually start thinking why 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 it's actually insane like why and why I am I making myself crazy yes and if you think about all of the, the most successful people in in the world if you ask them what they were like as a child I bet they would say I couldn't sit still or I was you know I was bad I was whatever and it's like I see so many of those kids and I, and the first thing I say to their parents is, I know, I know it can be a struggle sometimes, but that girl's going to make a lot of money, Uh huge change for this world. Um, I'm like, just wait. That's right. That's right. Don't you want, you want kids that are disruptors. Like that's exactly what I want. I mean, it's not easy to parent, but that's what you want. Um, I think about, you know, Sarah Blakely, uh, founder of Spanx, um, queen, like went on her trip or something. You, oh my gosh, cool. We should go to that. Actually. She's so cool. She picked one, one mom to go on a three day trip to her resort spot. And it was your friend. Yeah. Oh, that's very cool. She, Sarah's so cool. She's, she breaks the rules, but it's so funny because I always tell parents the best thing you can do for kids is to make mistakes in front of them on purpose. Like just make mistakes. Let them see that it's not the end of the world. And I once heard later, like years later, after I had been saying this, I, you know, I like kind of was like, this is like my thought. And then when she said it, I was like, oh my gosh, yes, I'm aligned because <laughs> she said that her dad every day. So if you don't know Spanx, it's a billion dollar company. That was just her idea that she did in her studio apartment all by herself. I think she's the only female company, only solely female owned company that's not incorporated. Um, but I don't have enough money to have a fact checker on this podcast. So just do your own fact checking folks. But um, she, <laughs> she said that her dad at the dinner table every day said, not what was the best part of your day, but what mistakes did you make today? We do that too. <gasps> I love that because then you're teaching your kids that the thing like that they should bring to the parents is their mistakes that the thing they should be proud of is their failures because if you're not failing you are not trying yes and that was something i really wanted to to say was that oh good if if your child isn't is coming home from school and saying you know i don't ever i i don't make any mistakes no you know you don't hear anything from the teacher and you think like no good no news is good news but really because if you think about the world, like nobody's perfect. And so a, a child going to school, they don't talk and they look, yeah, they look I, like the ideal student and nobody says anything. But if you don't say, you know, I feel, I feel like I'm jumbling my words, but I feel like if you go into the year, the school year saying to the teacher in front of your child and the teacher and say, okay, you know, if this is going to be a wonderful school year. I can't wait to see all of the mistakes that you make and all of the things that you learn from them. And to the teacher, you can also say like, please don't tell me, you know, that everything is perfect because my child knows that everybody makes mistakes and everybody is, has something to work on some area, you know, some kids can jump really high and they're working on their handwriting skills, but other kids, um, you know, can read, but don't know how to run or gallop or or whatever um and so i just you know i'm not i'm not quite sure how to word it but i think you worded it great and okay so that brings me to my last question because i know we've been talking now for an hour but how do you think that parents and educators can advocate for better understanding and support for different kinds of learning needs that their child might have and and how can they support teachers on on the in this school year yeah. I wish the teachers, teachers could be, um, and administrators, you know, just be more open and every, so everybody's learning, not just the students. And you can learn from like all your, 
all of the teachers, if you have something that's bothering you, maybe ask someone else and they can give you a different way or, you know, try, try a different way. Um, but I just, I feel, sometimes I feel that all this during the school years, it's like one year you have one method and one teacher doing it one way. And then the next year you go to a different teacher. And so I just, I wish that it, that the teachers and the administration and the parents, like it is a team effort. Yeah. Collaborative involvement. It's not like, oh, you're at school, do what your teacher says, but also like you should all be talking all the time about everything and not just the negative stigmas that are going around. Like I just, yeah, not trying to fix it, but like how to make it work for the child teacher and parent. Because, you know, the every single time I tell someone my story, I hear the same thing. Me too. Mm-hmm. Me too. And so why it, really do we really think there's one type of student in the classroom? And if you mm-hmm. don't, compl- if you don't physically comply to that, you don't know how to learn. Or could there be several different kinds of brains? And maybe there can be more professional development or maybe the learning specialist the resource teacher can can have monthly meetings with the teachers and the administrators to share new things that they've learned or um you know I feel like I used to have some of those meetings and some of the teachers had been teaching for 30 years and they would say I don't even know what executive functioning means and that's true I didn't either and I was a learning specialist like I and I said you know what I'm gonna go back and break that down into smaller, like a a more, a better way to understand what that means. And And can you tell us what you did, (laughs) what it is for those that don't know? Well, I went back and I thought about, so all, I would say every single student I've ever had, had issues with executive functioning. Well, yeah, it's like the biggest problem for people with ADHD because your brain goes in so many different directions. So executive functions is just being able to organize your thoughts and prioritize your activities that you need to do, you know, sit down, not sit down, but find a way to say, okay, I need to do A, B, and C. In order to do A, B, and C, I need to get my pencil out. I need to have my books in my desk and only have my math book out because math is the subject that's coming next. Um, You know, organize your backpack in a way that you can find your materials and, and Mm -hmm. remind yourself to go, um, to turn your homework in every day. And so I think a lot, if he, he's bad because he didn't turn in his homework. He's bad because his desk is a mess. Well, nobody, maybe nobody showed him how to organize his desk. You know, yeah. maybe the way that, that you guys are organizing your desk is just not working for him or her, you know, maybe. And, and that's okay. So, yeah, um, I just think the more, the, the more, someone can get in touch and learn about the way that they learn mm-hmm. they can get better with their executive functions because they'll understand why they do things the way they do. I love that. I think, okay. So I I'm a big summary girl because I practice my executive functioning. So I would say, so if you're a parent or a teacher, this is for everybody The the steps kind of to think about to support diverse learning needs, social, emotional development, or ADHD, all of these things that all go together require knowledge and awareness. So like getting educated on the topic and different learning styles, like there's so many avenues that you can do this podcasts, books, articles. And if you don't know where to start, like ask someone (laughs) and ask us. Um, Yeah. What would you do? Ask someone else, someone of your friends. Yes. So fun to ask about that. Like, oh, I would have an article club. Yeah. Um, open communication between parents and educators, like keep the lines of communication open, regularly discuss progress, not just negative things, but making it a holistic understanding of the child. It's not just what they're like at school versus what they're like at home. And it's not a fight against each other. It's all of us are working to help this child. At -hmm. least I would hope that that's why every teacher becomes a teacher. Right. And I, yes. And when, when you're at home, the parent has the, you know, the child might have troubles doing 50 multiplication facts on their paper. Well, 
why the parent could say, why are you having trouble? Or could he do well, only the evens? Could she do just 10? Because what is the, what is the skill she's actually learning? Exactly. Um, um, yeah. IEPs or 504s. So I think like, this is what something people need to hear. Like if your child does have like need more specialized support, advocate for your child to get assessed. Every child has the right to be assessed. That doesn't mean every child will get an IEP or a 504, but they will get an assessment legally. They have to. Yeah. And I feel like that's, that is number one. Like if you think your child is struggling. Yes. Then you need to get an assessment because what, what harm can it do? Why are you waiting? Me? No, no, (laughs) no. I mean, like ask yourself again in the whys, why would you wait on that? If your child is struggling, why would you wait to give them support? Right. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Professional development. So like ask your principal or ask if you're a parent too. ask the school, like if teachers can get more professional development on different behavioral and learning needs and participate in your conferences, um, teamwork, advocacy groups. Yes. And when you have recommendations given after this IEP and the 504, well, maybe you can break them down into bullet points for what your child needs to best advocate. I know a lot of times those IEPs stay closed. Yeah. It's so I feel like that was intimidating to a lot of the teachers I talked to because they didn't, they couldn't read all that jargon. It was like, that's Um, such a, Kathleen, that's such a great idea. I feel like I've never heard anyone say to do that, but like, if you, yeah, if the parent or the teacher, whoever gets it, pull the bullet points because IEPs are so long and so like, I mean, like I remember reading them and it's like, it's literally like gives like the family history of like the maternal grandparents. It's just like, it's very hard. So yeah, the bullet points of the strategies is brilliant. Yeah. And then you leave an area there that you can add more strategies that do work. And then when they pass it to the next school year, to the next teacher, they can use the same, you know, just like a History yeah, brain. I, that was very helpful. I'm going <laughs> to. And then uh, remembering like to engage in policy advocacy, like this is an important one that like every kid has diverse needs. Celebrate progress and success. Like don't forget, like it's so easy to like be like, oh, here's a struggle. Here's a struggle. But celebrate the tiny wins. That's going to empower students. Yeah, I do notice that when you celebrate teeny, teeny, tiny wins. They're like, yes, like I'm not that bad. Do you know why? Do you know why that is? I was reading something about this. It's because your it those tiny celebrations make your conscious mind and your subconscious mind believe each other. And with kids, anyone really, like so many things that we do in life are like the subtle chipping away at separating our conscious mind, our subconscious mind from alignment where like, you know, kind of like if you're like, I'm going to wake up early and run tomorrow and your subconscious is like, no, you're not. You never do like, and it doesn't believe you. So then when you're like, I can do this hard thing, your subconscious is like, no, you can't. We don't believe anything that you say. So when we celebrate, oh my gosh, you washed your hands after you went to the bathroom by yourself. All yes. of a sudden sub, some subconscious goes, she did the thing she said she was going to do. I mean, I can't yeah. believe the things that she tells us. Oh, I actually think I can try this new math problem. It's hard. We got a we got a one of those little bracelets, and it says I can. And then we have a little a little picture that I found online. I was like, I can, and I will watch me. And we say it every day. And my daughter wears it on her ankle, so and it's looking up at her so she can read it. She's like, she's like, so whenever I think I can't do it, I look down and I say I can. And then it she tells does. me. At the end of the day, she'll say, I'll say, what did you do today? And, you know, she'll say, today I climbed up the stairs every other leg. You know, that's what she's working on. Wow. And she, I said, you can and you will. And and then she says, and I did. Is she four? She's four. Oh, my gosh. That's cute. Wow, Kathleen. That's such a good. I feel like everyone that's listening is going to copy that. You should. They should. I can't embrace it. I hold lunchbox like a little, it's this little picture I found online. It says, I can and I will watch me in little, watch me. And she's like, what does that mean? And I'm like, 
prove everybody wrong. If they, if, you know, everybody thinks you're the slowest kid in the line walking up the stairs. Well, every day, if you keep doing it, if you say you can't, then you can't. If you say you can and you will, then you'll do it. And then you'll be just as fast as everybody else. Just like Jabari. Yeah, Jabari. It's a favorite book. I love that book. Oh my gosh. I could talk to you forever, but I have to go and you probably have to go. And now we've talked for over an hour and I try to keep my podcast 25 minutes, but I didn't. But it was good. It was good. This is a great conversation. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for asking me. You know, I love, I love to talk about this stuff because I feel like mixing the brains, your brain, my brain, that's why I wanted to, to connect with you. I felt like you, I see your brain working. I see your brain working. Every time I talk to you, I get inspired and I have new thoughts. So thank you for I, saying sometimes I feel like I'm like, Bleh. no, and I feel that way too. And I'm saying that to also little girl who was told she was shy <laughs> because your voice matters so much. You help so many people think differently. Yes. Thank you. You do too. Thank you. You're the I, best. You're the best. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I'll talk to you soon.